Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Corey Rich is living an incredibly rich life. He says it was by sheer luck that he happened to experience climbing at the early age of 13 when two of his teachers noticed how many pull-ups he could do in gym class and then invited him and his brother for a weekend of climbing. He says that that one weekend changed his life. When I got my hands on his book, Stories Behind the Images, Lessons from a Life in Adventure Photography, I clung to every word, was drawn into every image, and soaked up every story. Corey has lived the good life. He has found a way to combine both of his passions, climbing and photography, to create a career filled with rich experiences, long-lasting friendships, and so many great stories to share. Over the years, Corey's worked on projects with clients like Mazda, NBC, Nike, and the North Face. He has had the privilege of getting to work with many world-class athletes like climbing legend Chris Sharma, kayaking pioneer Eric Jackson, and world champion surfer Lisa Anderson. And his work has appeared on close to 100 magazine covers, including the pages of the New York Times Magazine, Sports Illustrated, and National Geographic. All of that to be said, Corey started with humble beginnings, traveling around the country on his own dime in a beat up Honda Civic. And get this, the photo to launch his career was not his best work. It was actually one of the crappiest photos he says that he took on a Mexican surfing trip with a buddy combined with a school of jellyfish, anaphylactic shock, a bear bum and a syringe. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, that, that it's fun to hear that introduction because it it, um, it just makes me kind of pinch myself and be super grateful for uh, for the lifestyle and the career that I'm that I'm living. You know, the world looks quite different to me today. I have an eight year old girl and I just dropped her off at school. And, you know, part of having a child in your life is it forces you to sort of reflect on what matters and and kind of distilling life down to like simple explanations. And, you know, one of my favorite times each day is driving Layla to school or just one-on-one time with Layla, where it's, you know, kind of a safe place for her to ask questions, just sort of talk about whatever's on her mind. And, you know, this morning we were talking about, I'm not even sure how we got on the topic, but it was, we started talking about why, certain companies, why nonprofits are really important for the world. And, and you just realize at a baseline level, you know, I'm providing that kind of foundational, those foundational elements that will form her life. And I'm, and I'm thankful that somewhere in my life, my parents formed those, that kind of solid foundation so that I could make decisions and lead a life that's meaningful Um, that's meaningful and fulfilling and, you know, somehow knock on wood, you know, it allows me to pay the mortgage and, uh, and put food on the table, but it's, um, you know, it starts early. I think, I think for a lot of us, it's, you know, we're either given a rocky foundation or the unstable foundation or a solid foundation. And then it becomes our responsibility as 
sort of young adults and then adults to kind of build on top of either fix the foundation or build on top of that foundation. And, um, you know, no one has a perfect foundation, by the way. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I already realize I have not poured the perfect foundation for my daughter, but I'm trying hard and I'm constantly sort of smoothing the cement and, you know, adding some rebar here and there. Uh, but I, you know, in, in, in you reading that intro, I, it just, it reminds me how fast life goes and how, how some of that, you know, that early framing and foundation work affected my life, you know, at 13, those teachers really played a huge role in, in providing opportunity. And now I'm gosh, almost 45. And it's, you know, that, that just feels like yesterday. It feels like yesterday that I crawled into a pickup truck to go rock climbing in the needles of California. And you never know as an adult when you're having that effect on someone. And I, you know, I want to believe that I'm having that effect on my daughter every time I hang out with her, that the things I say, the things I do, what she sees me doing will have an effect on her, you know, for the rest of her life. And, you know, I know I'm stating the obvious, but it's, you know, you never want to take that for granted. Oh, I love you pointing that out. Absolutely. That you know, we all come from different beginnings and the foundation can be so different. So you have to either build it up. And I feel like even if you do, you know, the best that you can and provide the most incredible foundation, it is still, um, like, thank goodness that our kids get to work with that, but then they still have to kind of figure it out on their, on their own. So having that solid foundation and bringing all of your experience and all of the, life that you have lived living uh i think it would be like the way that i see it correct me if i'm wrong you live a pretty simple life i know it's extraordinary and all of the things that you do but it kind of comes back to like the simplicity of like getting outside being on the mountains riding bikes uh having conversations with people around the campfire like you're doing these incredible things all over the world, but it's like the simple things from them that you're taking away with you and kind of leaving with your daughter um, as her foundation. You know, I, I hear you say that and I wish it was, I wish I could say I led a simple life. I, the truth is when you pull the curtain back, it's extremely busy. Like it is, there's so much going on and I, I wish it was all sitting around the campfire and riding my bike and making pictures. But the truth is I'm, I'm running a business. I'm, I'm a partner in a business where we have 15 full-time employees. We have fortune 100 clients that have huge demands and we're meeting their schedules and, and delivering according to deadlines. And it's hugely stressful. And it's, to be honest, I'm now in a place in life where I think there was a part of my life where most of my time was spent in the mountains, hanging around the campfire, making pictures. And then I would go home and frantically caption my slides and scan them and ship the images to clients that kind of disappeared, you know, a decade plus two decades ago. And, you know, running a business requires an enormous amount of of energy, time, discipline, sacrifice. I mean, I, I think sacrifice is a big piece. It's, you know, we make decisions. And, and this isn't just true, by the way, in the photography filmmaking world. You know, if I were a, an engineer at a software company, a good engineer, a senior engineer, you have to make decisions about, you know, you have a finite amount of time 
in your lifetime, you have a finite amount of time annually and daily, and you decide how you're going to use it. And it sounds so simple that like family's number one, friends are number two, you know, I, and I'm saying this maybe work is number three, but I'll tell you what, they all compete with each other. And, and, and I, and that's like the real reality is like, I feel like I'm, I could do 30 hours of work a day and not be finished with all the things I'm supposed to be doing or responsible for, but you can't work 30 hours a day. And so I'm constantly making decisions around what's going to give. And, you know, if I'm totally transparent, it's sometimes it's the work, sometimes it's my family, sometimes it's my friends, sometimes it's my fitness, and it's never in that order. And it's, it feels like it's constantly, you know, one piece gets out of whack and then you try to get that back into sync and then something else slides out of sync. And there's no, like I might create the, there's no perfect balance. And, and I, it's almost an injustice if the, if the illusion that I create either in my book, which I really tried to make a, a clear point that it's, there is no balance in the book that I didn't want to disguise that. But, you know, social media, we're really guilty of creating this illusion that like, you know, it's all flowers and, and rainbows all the time when frankly, it's not, you know, oftentimes we're sharing those really fleeting moments of when it's like everything's in balance on social media. Um, but there's a, there's a ton of time where it's, it's not in balance and there's a, a ton of hard work going on and it's not all, I don't mind hard work. I actually like hard work, but there's plenty of work that I actually I don't really enjoy doing that much. It's just, it's mandatory. Like I, you have to do it in order to do the fun stuff or in order to pay the mortgage or in order to keep your staff employed. Yes, no, absolutely. And I think you did such a fantastic job in your book of showing um, the behind the scenes and the daily grind and um, yeah, just kind of the, the whole journey along the way that it was tough work and fly at the seat of your pants and all of the, you know, in the dark room, doing the images and figuring stuff out along the way. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the first climbing experience you had with those two teachers. Yeah. You know, I, I was a gymnast, so I did, I think 35 pull-ups one day during a pull-up contest in junior high and Bob Porter took notice of me on campus and invited me to go rock climbing. My older brother came along and the math teacher, George Egbert, was also in the car. And we drove up to the needles of Southern California, which are uh, currently they're closed due to forest fires. In fact, we just tried to do a shoot there a month ago. And, um, you know, I think we're living in this new reality. This is a bit of an aside that public lands are not as accessible as they were 30 years ago when Bob and George took me climbing 32 years ago, you know, it's, you can't just drive into Yosemite national park whenever you want to and live in the dirt and go climbing. You know, we're, we're experiencing forest service closures due to wildfires. You know, these, this is, this is kind of unprecedented. And so it doesn't go, I'm just acknowledging that like my experience 32 years ago might not happen today. It's a little bit different. The world looks different the way that introduction might happen is going to have, you know, it's going to have a different shape and different form and a different feel, but we went to the needles and it's a spectacular location and it blew my mind. And I fell in love with sort of the, the culture and the sport and the art 
of, of climbing immediately. And, and from that weekend forward, um, I, I really tried to make as much time in my life to go rock climbing. Um, I was still a gymnast and I went to the gym, you know, gosh, five to six days a week, a couple of hours a day, but Saturday or Sunday, usually it was Sunday was reserved for rock climbing. And I, you know, I've convinced Bob Porter, George Egbert, these two teachers to take me climbing. Sometimes it was my brother and I, you know, convincing my mom and dad to drop us off. There's an area in Southern California, kind of a famous area called Stony Point. And um, just, you know, some mediocre sandstone boulders and top ropes. And uh, my grandmother lived fairly close. And my mom and dad would oftentimes drop my brother and I off at Stony Point for, you know, four hours while they went and spent time with my dad's mom. And then, you know, they'd drop us off with our climbing backpack, our rope, and just enough equipment to get ourselves in trouble. (laughs) We would go climbing for, you know, hours on end. And, you know, I I was just like a hook, line, and sinker I I took to rock climbing. And, I mean, I think it's safe to say that almost every decision I made in life from 13 on, you know, one of the variables in the equation was how do I rock climb more? You know, how do I spend more time in that environment? And, and it's, it's worth calling out that I wasn't, never was there an illusion. I enjoyed the sport. There was no illusion that like I was going to be a big, great rock climber. I never had aspirations of I'm going to be the next Peter Croft or I'm going to, you know, the, in the early days, it was guys like Peter Croft and John Backer and Lynn Hill, you know, Robin Herbisfield, who I kind of looked up to. And then as my generation evolved, and I put in my generation, it's the, you know, the Chris Sharma's, the the Beth Rodden's, the Tommy Caldwell's of the world. It pretty early on, I realized like, I'm not a world-class climber. I I can hold my own and I love climbing, but I I was figuring out like, what was my niche within the climbing world? I mean, what I knew is I, I loved the feeling of being out there and being part of the adventure and and thankfully, I quickly found photography. I found photography. Another teacher introduced me to um, photojournalism. You know, I started bringing my father's camera along on these weekend adventures. And I pretty quickly realized, you know, he had a pretty nice camera, but my photos sucked. And I realized it wasn't just about owning a great camera. It was about sort of you know, how you use the camera, which is the mental piece. And then there was the heart, which is, you know, where you put yourself and how hard you how much of yourself you put into that photograph and two parallel pursuits were born, which is I wanted to be outside in climbing and climbing environments and adventure environments. And then I wanted to hone my storytelling skills as a photographer. And so I I started to pursue working at the local newspaper in the Antelope Valley, which is kind of Mojave desert area. And, uh, and that really spun into going to college for photojournalism and um, I picked a school that was close to Yosemite National Park. I first went to San Jose State and then eventually transferred to Fresno State because I think Fresno State is as close as you can get to Yosemite National Park and still <laughs> claim that you're a college student, um, even though I didn't attend college very often at that point. You know, I was just traveling a lot, but that that's really the origin. I mean, the origin was falling in love with climbing, falling in love with photography, and then you know, I wish I could say consciously, it was much more subconscious. I was just, every decision I made was based on those two criteria. How do I spend time outdoors at climbing areas? And how do I 
make pictures of how do I hone the craft of making pictures of climbing? And, um, you know, somewhere along the way, I never like wrote a business plan or, or, um, you know, kind of really sat and worried about like, how am I going to make money? All of my energy just went into like being there and making great pictures. And eventually I submitted, I took six months off from college and I edited my six months of photography down to, you know, 40 ish or 80 ish pictures. I think I sent 40 to climbing magazine and 40 to Patagonia. And, and that's where true validation comes from. You know, you ship your 80 best pictures, which requires really checking your ego. You have to be very vulnerable. You submit those pictures. And, you know, if you don't hear anything that confirms the pictures aren't that great. And if you do hear something or they license those pictures, um, then you discover that in fact, like maybe you've got a shot at, you know, making some money and, and justifying taking more pictures and getting paid for it. Um, there was one story that you told in the book, um, about when you were approached, I can't remember who approached you, but for a job where you were going to maybe go off to the desert and you called up your buddy and he was busy partying and you're like, Oh, what, what's a good, um, ask, what do I need to ask, uh, for payment? And he was busy. And I think he said something like a thousand dollars. So then you're like the company approached you and you're like, Kate, this is my rate a thousand dollars. And you were thinking like a thousand dollars for the whole job. And then they were like, well, that's, that's a little steep. We'll do 900. And you're like, yes. Yeah. Just showing up like confident, like, okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. We'll do 900. And they're like, yeah, a day. And it was like a 30 day project. Like what did it feel like when somebody was willing to pay you, um, 30 times the amount of what you had originally thought. And even for you at the time that was shooting high. Like if I get, you know, this $900, a thousand dollars, this will be amazing. What was that moment like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a, a trip to Morocco to the Sahara desert for a company called now debunked company called Quacasports.com. And, and yeah, it, I mean, that's such a great example of, I was just on like another planet. I mean, I, my motivation was not money. I guess is the bottom line. My motivation was I just wanted as many opportunities to tell visual stories, to take photos as possible, like in whatever shape they came, whatever format, I just wanted opportunities to go out and shoot pictures and almost to a fault. It wasn't about the money. I mean, I think I I would have taken it a step further. I would have paid $900 to go on that trip because it just sounded cool and it was an adventure and it was you know, I would be in uncharted territory and it would be challenging. And I think that that moment, that might've been the very first moment where when, you know, Brian Turkelson was the name of that vice, pre- vice president at Quaka Sports that said $900 a day. And I, you know, I realized, right, it was 30 times what I thought. It was the first time where I realized, wow, there's actually a real career in this. Like, this is actually something I could, because the numbers weren't quite adding up at that point. I mean, I had to publish a lot of pictures in rock in climbing magazine or outside magazine or rock and ice mag, you know, the three outdoor publications were climbing rock and ice and, and outside at the time, maybe Alpinist existed at the time, but you know, you had to sell a lot of $300 pictures or license a lot of $300 pictures 
to 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 pay for a car and gas and more film and rent or what I couldn't even imagine a mortgage at that time. And then and you know each of those $300 pictures required an enormous amount of blood, sweat and tears to make a compelling enough picture that someone was willing to pay $300 or maybe if you really nailed it, you got the cover for, you know, $900 of the map, but that's, it's a lot of work. Like each of those pictures, you know, maybe out of a week of doing photography on the road, working your ass off, getting up at five in the morning and staying out until 10 and grinding and convincing people to be in your photographs you know, maybe in a week you'd shoot five compelling photos. So five times 300, $1,500. When you do that math, you know, you're out for a week, you drove halfway across the country, you paid for the gas, you paid for the food, you paid for the film. You just lost money at $1,500. You sold five pictures. And that's if you're a rock star, like you knocked it out of the park. You, you're like barely staying in business. Like you're running a nonprofit. intended <laughs> to or not. And then to sit down and hear Brian Turkelson say, we're going to pay you $900 a day for 30 days. It was the first moment where I thought, and it took me a while for this to sink in. Wow. If I could do this several times a year, this is sustainable. This is sustainable. Then I can, it doesn't matter if in between these 30 day assignments, I'm donating my time to sell those $300 photographs because that's what I love doing. But then what I also didn't realize is that 30 day assignment was going to be equally as fulfilling as the, you know, weeks on my own trying to convince a climber to get up at four in the morning to be hanging on a rope in the right light. And so that, that was the first time where I realized, wow, there is this part of this industry. There's the photo industry, the adventure photography industry that I didn't, at the time there was no book that described how to do it. Now I think there's a few books. I think Jeff Aki has written a book. Michael Clark has written a book. There's a couple of books. On, to some degree, I wrote a book, Stories Behind the Images. It's partially a how-to guide. It's like, how do you make this work? How do you craft a career and a lifestyle around doing? I, I want my book to, it, the goal was to make it much more than about how to become a climbing photographer or adventure photographer. I hope it sparks in the reader how do you figure out what you love to do and turn it into a career? And I don't care what that is, whether it's, you know, synchronized swimming or whether that is, uh, you know, coaching ballet or whether it's being a musician, it's how do you, how do you find that passion and then turn it into a career? If a career is the path you want to go. And, but that was the moment when, when Brian said, you know, essentially $30,000 for, for not for 30 days in the field, I realized like I might actually be able to turn this into a career. I mean, and you have to keep put it in perspective at that moment in time, you know, my backup plan was I was going to apply for jobs at newspapers. You know, I was an intern at the Modesto B um, and, you know, the starting salary at some of these newspapers was probably just North of 30,000, you know, maybe 40, $45,000. And I would work 300 days a year for the newspaper not own my photography at the end of the day. And frankly, for me, at least be shooting a lot of subject matter that, that I was not passionate about. And so that was that moment where I realized, holy shit, like I can photograph subject matter that I do care about that, that excites me in geographic regions that are awe-inspiring, own my photography and do it 
and get paid well enough to make this a sustainable career. And so I guess that's that was a real long answer to the question, which is, I think that was the first moment where I realized, I think I can actually do this and turn it into a career. What I didn't understand is how hard was it to land those jobs and how many of those jobs existed? Um, yeah, I think that is such um, a crucial point that you hit on, but you were so passionate about this is what you love to do. So you just weren't willing to quit. You were, you were willing to pay $900 to go on the experience. So I think that is something that is different about you. You're willing to keep putting in the work, um, you know, getting up at 4am trying to convince these people to be in your shots and, and not quitting because yeah, I think sometimes people, you know, obviously we all, it would be wonderful to go down the easy route, um, you know, to be handed something and, and carry on. But I mean, it just shows like how far that you've been able to take this because you never gave up. You kept going, you were willing to lose money along the way and cruise around in your little car and, um, yeah, take the jobs and be to the places where maybe everybody else wasn't up and around and put in all of the work to create this reality that you got to live. And, and, I, and I don't, I mean, I, I'm always really careful. I don't think there's like an, you know, look, the, the only easy route in life is, you know, you, you collect unemployment. I mean, that's any real job is hard. That's why it's called work. I mean, and it's, and, and the hard part comes in different ways. And, you know, and this is no dig at any job or, you know, it's, it's hard to work at Chipotle. Like it's, it would be really hard to be behind the counter making the same burrito for eight hours a day. It would be hard. It would be hard in a different way than being a software engineer for a tech company where it's, you're working damn hard and you're solving problems all day and you're under enormous pressure. And it's hard in a different way than my career in that it's super fun, but it's hard in that there's high risk. Like there's high risk and that, you know, I'm, I don't know where the next job is coming from. It's, it's high risk when you're in the field. Like as much as I try to claim all the time, no, we're very calculated and what we're doing is I've lost a lot of friends. I mean, a lot of my friends have died in the mountains and it's, it's risky. Like when you shoot in the mountains, it's risky. Or when you spend time in the mountains, it's risky. And so I think work inherently is hard. And there's aspects of, of any job, mine included, that I don't like, I don't enjoy. <laughs> it's, I think it's that, I think what it comes down to is can you identify that thing that you love in life? And, and I'm, I'm fortunate to identify that thing that I, those two things in life that I really love being outside and taking pictures, which, and, and when I say taking pictures, it's really telling stories. And I figured out that there was a way to make money. And I, and I've learned about myself. I'm okay with the risk. And that risk comes in two categories, which is there's a lot of uncertainty about my income and you know, I don't have a 401k plan provided by my employer. I don't have, it's really hard for me to get life insurance. You know, that, that I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not knowing where the next paycheck will come from because I've, for 30 years, I've become accustomed to, if I continue, it's an if then statement. If I work really hard and I continue to push the creative envelope, I'm going to get more work. 
And I know that, well, at one day, you know, I'll be too old and no one will want to work with me and I'm too crusty and I can't get myself <laughs> to the locations, but that's not yet. And it's, but it's all, I, I think there's, it's everyone just weighs those variables, you know, how much my brother, you know, I love my brother to death. He, I mean, he says it every time we hang out, he was like, I would hate your job. He's like, I hate uh -huh. the unpredictable schedule. I would hate not knowing what my income is going to look like. I would hate not, you know, he loves structure and this job does not provide structure. There's zero structure in my, in my yeah. world. I don't know what's happening next week. Like there's a lot, of, there's a lot of embracing ambiguity. It's being willing to kind of roll with the punches. There's never two identical jobs. Not in 30 years have I done two identical assignments. It's they're always, they might be similar, but it's always different. And I thrive on that. And that's, that's the, you know, there's the extreme difference between if I were building burritos at Chipotle and believe me, I love Chipotle and I love burritos, but that would be really monotonous. And it's, you're going to do the same thing over and over again. And it's, and I'm grateful that there's someone behind the counter building those burritos, but I couldn't do that. Like, it would be really hard for me to do that. I'm, I want the ambiguity. I want the, the sort of lack of consistency and the lack of repetition. Yeah. I love that. And you found something that I guess it really is. It doesn't matter what, what path you're on or what career as long. Yeah. I think the mission is to find something that lights you up and that you can get paid to do the work that you love to do. I know even, even though there's parts of it, like you said, I think that's important. There are parts of it that you have to do that you don't love to do, but that just comes along with, um, with the job. Um, so you, get paid this huge amount, you've now like, okay, I can create a life out of this. This can turn into like a full-time career. What did that kind of look like, like over the next few years? Yeah. I think the big, you know, probably the biggest shift that happened after this first assignment in Morocco was I was barely hanging on in school. I mean, I was I was doing what I described. I'd go out for seven days, spend $1,500, get four or five photos published, you know, a month later, two months later, and then do it all. I was just in that cycle. And it was so fun. I look back at that window of time and it was incredible. It's like I met some of my, you know, to this day, some of my best friends I met during that time where I was just on the road. I was a road warrior, but I was still hanging on in college. I would, you know, somehow miraculously travel 75% of the time, but show up at class just enough and just barely squeak by. And that assignment, the month away was the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I think I came back from Morocco and finished that semester barely, like barely past my classes. And then I, I just never returned to school. And I was really close to, I think I was three classes shy of a degree. And, um, I sat down with my college advisor and he closed the door and, and, you know, on one hand, he was in that tough position. His job was to help students get to a place where they could pursue a career that they're passionate about and make money. It's just, he was also in a position to like help you get through college. I was kind of leading that career before I had completed college. And, you know, he, he kind of was at one level, very proud of me that, you know, he loved hearing the stories of adventure and like, he couldn't believe that I had just come back from Morocco and there were more trips booked, you know, on the other hand, he, 
I think he had wished that I had finished college, but he, he basically finally gave me the nod that I should move on. <laughs> and that helped. I mean, because my dad wasn't going to give me that nod. My mom and dad, you know, obviously wanted me to finish as I would want my daughter to finish college. And, but that was it. It's like the, you know, the volume went from like five to 12 in the span of a month. And it's like, I finally had clarity in my head that even if my parents disagreed with my decision, it was okay because I could pay for an apartment in my car. And I just, all of a sudden I was an adult. I didn't need their help financially. And, you know, today my dad still joked. My dad was an educator. He spent his whole career in education and, and I understand them. And I think he really wanted, you know, his, to say that I have two kids with a college degree, two boys. And, but today he acknowledges that sort of, you know, I ended up in that really unique, you know, lane, which allowed me to, to do what I love at a high level and get paid for it. And I, and I pinch myself every day. I mean, that could go away tomorrow and, and I would be working at Chipotle serving burritos and, you know, and I'd suck it up and do it, or I'd go back to college. You know, I always say that if I couldn't do this, I would be a school teacher. Like, and, oh. I, and, I, and I, and I think that comes from teachers had such an enormous positive effect on me you know i it, it it would be such a fulfilling thing to affect a kid's lives like to provide what bob and george provided to me and and there's a third teacher james duprat who really helped me like took me under his wing in the photography world if i could do that for a few kids in my lifetime not just my own but you know other kids that's you know i think that's real that's real accomplishment in life. That's deep satisfaction. So I guess the short answer to your question is, you know, if one day I'm no longer able to do this, I'm going to be a school teacher. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Um, providing for those kids, what you got, cause I think it takes, yeah, one moment you had, you know, one weekend away with those climbing yeah. and it totally transformed your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think even through your book, I think, like you said, your uh, book, you know, teaches some of the, the, the logistics and the things along the way and, and how you um, have lived this life. But I think also I was just bragging up to um, one of my girlfriends today. I'm like, this book is like um, almost like a self-help all of or, or like self-discovery, um, like a personal growth book, because mm. all of the lessons packed in all of the stories, I think they really make people, you know, think about um, the lessons and all of all the experiences that you've had are so rich and that you can share that I think will change. I mean, you're like a teacher through your book. Some of the things that I've taken away from your book, I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that like that. Or what about this? So um, yeah, through your book, I think it's going to um, impact so many lives that you maybe will never even know about, but. Well, thanks. Those are really, that, uh, that means a lot to me because that's really, you know, the spirit of that book was to one, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow or fell off a mountain tomorrow, I want my daughter to know who I am and who I was. And I think it accomplishes that. And then, and honestly, the next piece, the next objective in writing this book was really to um, help folks, help inspire people, but also allow them to, to bypass a lot of the mistakes that I've made. 
And because that is what, you know, this, that's what this career, that's what life is all about is, you know, we, we kind of trip and then we stand up and we trip again and we stand up and then we sprint and then we do a, you know, fumble again. And then we, and it's all about, you know, falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up. And it's, you know, that book, it's more about the falling down pieces than it is the, the getting up pieces. I mean, the getting up is the pictures that came out of those fumbles. Um, but, you know, it's like, I just didn't want to create the illusion that it's, it's all smooth sailing. It's sort of, you don't get the successes without some, you know, you don't get the mountaintops without the valleys. I mean, that, that's just, that's true in life. It's true in photography. You know, I, I always joke, we just did a photo shoot last week and we shot 12,000 pictures in two days. And there's only going to be 10 great pictures that come out of that. I mean, you know, that's the reality. There's going to be 10 great pictures, you know, and that, that ratio is high. And that's kind of like life. You have to take a bunch of swings at stuff and you, you miss more often than you hit the ball. And, you know, I'm, I'm not great with sports analogies, but they're just so <laughs> good because it's true. It's, you know, it's like a, it's like baseball. I mean, I'm just, I'm constantly swinging. I'm getting smarter. My swing is way better now at 45 or 44 than it is, than it was at 22 or 21 or 18 or 13, but it's, you still got to swing a lot. That's all there is to it. And it's like, and you've got to own that when you strike out, that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Keep swinging because when you connect, then the magic happens and all the other stuff along the way is there to, you know, teach you the lessons that you need to learn. Because I think if you get some places too fast, then you're bound to fall down because you need all of the, the stuff along the way too. It helps shape, shape the journey. Okay. So you're living this incredible life, busy life. You're going from place to place. Um, then, uh, years later you meet this beautiful Brazilian woman. And we know now that you've said you have a beautiful daughter as well. So after you met and you started your life with her, um, did, did she come along for the adventures with you? Um, I know you talked about some sacrifice, um, earlier with your time with family and work and, and all the things was, was she along for the ride in that? Or how did that kind of look? Yeah. I mean, so my wife's name is Marina and my daughter's name is Layla and, um, you know, Marina and I met at a time, you know, everything is about timing in life, but we met at a time in life where, um, now we're going on almost 13 years together. And it was a time in life where I had spent a lot of time traveling. I mean, I think at that moment in my life, when we met without exaggeration, I might've been traveling 250 days a year. I mean, it was, you know, home for a hundred intermittently spread out throughout the year. And, you know, too much of even a good thing is, is, you know, you can only eat so much ice cream before you, like the ice cream doesn't taste so good. And, and I think I was in that phase. I was in that phase where I was, I mean, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. I had endless assignments. They were fun, but it, but I, it was really hard. I mean, I was just gone all the time. And when Marina and I met, she was in a place in her life where she was very malleable. She had, she was, she's an adventurous spirit. She was flexible. She's, she's good at anything she touches. You know, I always joke that I'm good at one thing, which is like telling stories. And she's good at like any, she's like a high level performer at anything she touches. 
you know, and I don't have that gift. Like there's a lot of things I can't do. I can do a few things really well. And so she pretty quickly started traveling with me and filling some of the roles, the crew roles on these shoots, whether it was assistant, whether it was doing hair and makeup, whether it was um, dealing with logistics, whether it was props and wardrobe and some shoots, she just wouldn't come along on. And, and, but pretty quickly we did, we realized that, um, that we were ready for that next adventure in life, which was having a child. And, and I think that was, that was kind of, you know, a, a very monumental moment realizing that like, okay, we are, we are going to change our ability to travel and how flexible we are. And, and I have to say, it's been the most fulfilling adventure thus far in life. And I, I'm not sure it would be as fulfilling if I hadn't had the previous 20 years of like endless travel and adventure and kind of, you know, the only person I had to answer to was me. Um, you know, photography and adventure is pretty selfish. Like it's a lot of time, it's a lot of alone time. And, um, you know, having a daughter has been, I don't know, it's, it's so hard to explain. It's, it's been like the greatest adventure yet and also the most challenging adventure. You know, it's, it, it has definitely made me reflect a lot on how I spend my time, how often I'm gone. You know, Marina and I early on embraced the idea that, you know, while Layla was small, she's just coming along for the ride. And, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, but I bet by the time Layla was three, you know, she had gone to 15 countries and, you know, she, she used to, as soon as she could talk, she used to like to ask us how many, air, you know, was it a sleep airplane and how many airplanes <laughs> are we going on? And she just didn't know any different, right? Kids only know what you show them. And right. so, you know, we just, we decided we weren't going to change our lives in terms of, you know, we were, you know, there's, you make a decision as a parent, you're going to have your kid on like a sleep schedule and they go to bed at exactly the same time in the same room with the same music playing. That wasn't us. That has not been us. It's like, we are, you know, there's, there's rarely a constant in our daughter's life. Now she's in third grade and, you know, she's going to public school. And so we're far more, you know, we're very deliberate about how often she's out of school and how often she's not out of school, but it's added perspective is what having a child has done. And it, it's, you know, it's a variable in life now. It's not just simply, you know, the, the equation got more complex. The equation is now, you know, how do I continue to make great pictures? How do I pay the bills? How do I keep our staff happy? how do I make sure that I'm around and being a good dad and not in that order? Like I would actually flop the good dad right to the front on the heels of that. It's how do I pay the bills kind of tied with how do I continue to do cool, creative stuff that's, that's fulfilling. And so, you know, I think adding that child, it's anyone without a child, you have people might complain, Oh, I'm so busy at work. I don't have any free time you have tons of free time. Like until you have a child, you don't know what it means to not have free time. I do not have a single free minute during my day because I'm either working, you know, trying to get exercise. And even when I'm exercising, I'm working because I'm you know, listening to some voice memo or thinking about what I need to do, or I'm spending time with my family. And, and I think that's how it should be. But it's like, I realize I'm in that window probably from now it's, you know, it's debatable when this window ends, but from now until the time she's, you know, either 15 or 18 and doesn't want any, you know, she's going to fill her time with her friends. It's, I want as much high quality time with my wife and daughter as I can possibly get. My wife and I have a long time together. My daughter, it's a finite amount of time where you really get to change 
where I get to be her teacher. You know, I go back to that idea of it's one thing to teach other kids. It's another thing to kind of teach your own child. And the only way that happens is by being available. And it's, and it's carving out time to do stuff that's engaging for her and engaging for me. And it's, you know, that's not easily done, but it's something that I, you know, really try to make happen. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Like you said, life, you throw a child into the mix and holy shit. Yeah. You thought you didn't have time before, but yeah. How beautiful that this is, um, yeah, the best, um, journey so far. And like you said, you do have a finite amount of time because we all grow up and we all have our own families and our own friends. So, um, take advantage of the time that you have now. So I love that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Okay. I've got a couple final questions before we end off here. So, okay. First, I just have to ask, is your last name the same name you were given at birth? Because it just seems so fitting in an alignment with the incredibly rich life that you have lived. It sure is. I definitely did not uh, alter my name. I've always joked, you know, throughout my life and certainly as a kid, you know, the way kids would make fun of me is they would call me Richie Rich. And, and, you know, certainly my parents led humble careers as a nurse and a teacher. And, you know, and I always say it about this career, you're never going to be rich. Like it's, there's nothing, you know, this is not a career where financially you're going to be, you know, a a, a bazillionaire, but, but it's on the flip side, you're really wealthy in experience. It's rich in experience. And, and I've never thought about that. Actually, I've, I've just grown up accustomed to kids calling me Richie Rich. And, you know, when the irony was like, I'm not rich, I got, we don't have a ton of money. Um, but in terms of life experience, I think I'm pretty loaded. Yeah, you have hit. Yeah, you've hit the jackpot there for sure. Um, okay, so I noticed your headshot on your website. Um, in the camera's reflection is the image of the Siberian climbing expedition. So what made you choose that image? Was that one of your favorite trips? Why that one as your headshot? It's a good question. You know, that was an amazing trip. Now that's probably three years ago, that trip to Siberia. Um, It was a fantastic trip. It was really, uh, you know, an extraordinarily fun trip. Um, I wish there was a deeper answer to why that's my headshot. I think it's just a, as we, you know, as we probably scrolled through Lightroom, a couple of, you know, a year ago to look for a headshot that might've been the first one that popped up and it included the camera and, and um, yeah, there's, there's no rhyme or reason. And that, I, I mean, I think we probably liked it because I'm in it, but there's also a camera in it and it's, you know, you're in a cool location, but I don't know. I'm always, I love, you know, I always get the question, what was your favorite trip? And it's always the last one I was on. I mean, it really is because I've already forgot, you know, it's, sort of, I'm just, I try to live in the moment. I try to really embrace where I am and who I'm with. And, you know, and that's hard to do sometimes because my brain, I'm thinking about all kinds of other stuff I've got to do, but you know, that Siberia trip was great, but I've done, you know, 15 trips since then. And, um, you know, the last one that I did was the best trip because those, those memories, those experiences, those photographs are the freshest in my head. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Be in the present moment and enjoy where you're at and reminisce about yeah. The, the latest trip. And then you have this book with all of these, um, incredible memories that you can look back on <laughs> to remind yourself, Oh yeah, this is where I was at this time. And 
that was the best part of putting the book together, honestly, was forcing myself to go back and remember some of those situations and trips and, and then try to find meaning in those experiences, because it's, it's really easy to tell just a great adventure story of the mishaps and the, you know, the, the, what happened along the way on the way to the summit or on the way down, but then going, peeling the onion back kind of one, one more layer and saying, okay, so in that adventure story, what did I learn? What did I, how did I become a better person or how could I have become a better person if I had, you know, played that played it better and recognized the situation that I was in. And that's kind of really the objective of that book is to try to, you know, in the experience of writing the book, it was to try to kind of find deeper meaning in all of those experiences. And, you know, I think some chapters are better than others. Some I'm, I'm like barely uh, identifying something novel or a lesson to be taken away, but it's a good enough story that I decided that's okay. This chapter is just entertainment. The best chapters are there entertainment, they're educational, and there's some reflection that that allows the reader and myself to be a better person along the way, and hopefully a profile of an interesting human being. Because all of the photos, while I'm the person behind the camera, my entire career is built on the people that I'm photographing. It's, it's the people in those photographs. I'm not a landscape photographer. I'm not a guy out there shooting national parks with, you know, epic sunrise. There's always people in the photographs. I mean, I get that request all the time. Hey, Corey, we love your work. Can you just, can we license a picture of just like Yosemite without a climber? And always my answer is I'm just the wrong guy. Like I, there's lots of people that shoot beautiful landscapes. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that shoots people in those landscapes. And, and the reason that's the case is because that those personal relationships are what are at the the center of why I love what I'm doing. It's relationships, it's people. It's I'm inspired when I'm with thought leaders and you know elite performers. And that's really like without those people, without those relationships, without their willingness to let me into their lives, you know, that I wouldn't have a career, nor would there be a book. It's about them. Okay, that leads perfectly into my next question. So you get to witness these world-class athletes pushing themselves to the extreme and being relentless in the pursuit of their goals. So what is it like being surrounded by their energy? And is there a common thread that you notice that makes these people stand apart from the rest? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just used that term. They're elite performers is what they are. Like most of the folks in the book, they're elite performers. They you know, they, they're experts at what they do. They perform at an exceptionally high level. They have kind of across the board, they've honed in in their lives on like, this is what I do. And, and they, most of them identified it pretty early in life. Um, they, they practice, you know, I'm, I'm borrowing this term from an author. It's called deliberate practice. They, 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 there's deliberate practice daily at that craft or that activity and they dig deep, they push hard and they spend a lot of time doing that activity. That's like, it's not coincidence. Nobody was born with just a gift and like they're, you know, it turns out science has kind of proved that Bobby Fisher didn't just one day like play chess and he was the greatest chess player. He played a lot and he, and he also had the aptitude to take it to the next level. And, and I think that's what most of the folks 
that I photograph, or at least in this book, they're elite performers that have made a lifestyle, a career out of pushing the envelope, becoming the best of what they do. And it's, and I, and I've learned so many lessons from those people. I mean, I think it's why I'm an elite performer in the photography world is I've, I've watched and modeled my life after theirs, meaning I, I've watched what it took Chris Sharma to, or Tommy Caldwell or Beth Rodden or Alex Arnold. They're not just great climbers because they're lucky. They're great climbers or athletes because they put a shitload of time into it, focused time, and they have put other things in life on hold and they've built an entire lifestyle around doing that at a high level. And and it helps when you watch people perform at a high level, you can then kind of look at their lives and say, okay, how would I, I'm not trying to be a, an elite climber. I'm trying to be an elite storyteller. What are the characteristics or traits that I could take from their lives and apply to my own? And I think from early on, from the first time I met, you know, a lot of these athletes, I started to make those observations and some of it was intuitive. Some of it, I kind of, I knew from intuition, but also from teachers explaining it to me. Um, I, I knew that that was part of the deal. Like I had to be dedicating it. That, that it's time. I mean, at the end of the day, what I learned from all of these athletes is there's no substitute for time and hard work. That's it. That's it's that simple. And, and it doesn't mean just because you put time and hard work and you're going to perform at the high level. I mean, there are certain limiting factors, meaning, you know, if I, I mean, th this is like a really radical example, but if, if I had a debilitating disease that didn't allow me to hike, I probably couldn't do the career that I'm doing. I mean, that just, no matter how dedicated I was to photography, I just couldn't get myself into those positions, you know? And, and so it's within the confines of your physical and mental ability. If you choose an activity or a career that you can, that is accessible to you. And then you layer on top of that dedicated, consistent practice. That's how you become, you have the possibility of becoming an elite performer. Wow, and I it's hard. Like, and I say this, you know, basketball is a great example or soccer. Tens of thousands of kids play soccer and basketball on city courts around the country. And, but not everyone can go to the NBA. Like that's the hard reality. Like not every kid that plays hoops on a, you know, court in Brooklyn or in, you know, San Francisco is going to go to, no matter how much time they put in, there's still, if everyone puts an equal amount of time at the highest level in, there's still going to be a couple of folks that rise to the top because they have that other thing, that extra mental discipline. Maybe it's that foundation that was provided by their family. Maybe it's genetics, but what is consistently true about all of the folks that I admire and the people that I photograph is they work really damn hard all the time at what they do. And most of them love what they do. Oh, I love that. That's a perfect way to end. Okay. So lastly, where can everybody find you, find your book and stay up to date with all of your latest projects? Well, thanks. Yeah, that was a fun conversation. Um, thanks for having me. I know I could, I could honestly sit here for like hours and hours and hours. I just have a million more questions, but you know, I have to respect your time. I know it is, um, you know, you're pulled in all different directions. So well, thanks. You know, the easiest way to follow me, uh, my website is coreyrich.com, C-O-R-E-Y-R-I-C-H.com. 
Um, on social media, my handles are either Corey Rich or Corey Rich Productions. Um, on Instagram, I'm Corey Rich Productions. I think on Facebook, I, I might be both Corey Rich and Corey Rich Productions. Um, I have a blog that I try to keep pretty up to date uh, that you can link to from my website. And if you haven't read my book, and I'm not saying I don't make any additional money at this point, it's I did it not for money. I did it because I hope it inspires people and, and entertains people. But grab a copy of it. You can probably buy it for 10 bucks now used on Amazon. I haven't checked, but uh, <laughs> I hope any listener that's listening that hasn't read my book, I hope you uh, you do get your hands on it and enjoy it. I hope it inspires you in some way. That was the spirit of writing it. Oh, I love that. And absolutely, there will be no copies on Amazon being sold because this is one of the books that you will not give away. You will gift it to someone. Like this is the one that I'm gifting to people, but like never giving uh, my own copy away. So go buy yours um, on Amazon for full price because it is worth every penny and it is incredible. So thank you for being here. I so uh, appreciate you spending your time with me today and sharing all of the lessons that you've learned along the way. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.